um, I, I talk about the sport as being the ultimate humility test. So um, the ho- ultimate humility teacher. So you can be the best on the day and obviously uh, lose lose the race or actually come last by a long way, but despite being the best on the day. But um, so luck does play a part. Um, and even while I'm saying that, I'm saying luck doesn't play a part. Luck doesn't play a part <laughs> because you're always trying to teach yourself yeah. that you have control of your destiny. So um, for for every race you go into, you go in there trying to do your best and worry about no one else. Um, worry about your race plan so specifically because on a six-foot day on the Gold Coast, there are so many different ways to get out, come in, um, that have different chances, different possibilities that vary 10%, 15% that you need to take the majority chance to get the win. So you're constantly evaluating odds and um, sometimes it doesn't go your way and sometimes you have to be really okay with your decision that you made the right decisions. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. All right, welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Surf Ironman competitor, Matt Bevelacqua. Matt, welcome to the podcast. So um, you're, uh, I mean, you've got a, a huge background in, um, in Surf Ironman. You won the Nutri-Grain Series in 2018 and um, five times Molokai to Oahu um, paddleboard uh, champion and with the fastest crossing too, is that right? Got the um, I think I've got the three fastest time for that event. So it's a <laughs> tonight. Don't don't mind being out there in Hawaii. It's a, it's a good race. I love to do. And uh, tell me about when you first started, uh, you know, race racing in the surf. Like what um, what was your upbringing like? Were you always around the water? Obviously, in, in Tassie, that's um, not always the case. It's the beaches and the, the layout of the city and stuff. It's the beach. The really nice beaches are pretty remote. So I was lucky enough to have you know, really supportive parents that took me down to the beach and, uh, you know, even in <laughs> the most horrible days down there, it gets pretty cold even in summer. Um, yeah, I was down on the beach and uh, just had a love for the sport and had a love for the community down there at Clifton Beach Surf Club, which is actually the most southern surf club in Australia. And, uh, yeah, I never – well, I, I did a lot of football and things like that, but I just really enjoyed being on the beach and challenging myself in conditions and, throw myself out there, um, you know, when the, when the seas got big and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, love the sport from the get-go. Do you think it made you a, a tougher competitor being brought up in those, those cold conditions? I mean, compared to the softies up in Queensland, right, who have just got the warm water all the time, you know, it's, and I probably feel a little bit the same way down here in Victoria, right, where it's just even now the water is still so cold, but uh, you see the kids out there. I see my kids um, going into the water and, you know, they don't want to go in, you know, back, back home until they're freezing cold. So did that sort of help you, you reckon, become a, a tougher competitor and you get used to tough conditions? I think uh, it's a bit of both, right? So you, you obviously, what you, don't, what you don't know can't hurt you. So if you don't know any better, um, is you just don't think it's that bad. So, yeah, you see the kids from Torquay or Tassie, they're just, and even now I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not going in there now because I know a lot better now. But. I think what what got me to where I am now is that that love for the sport. So even even though I st- I loved going in the water down there and training and getting out there in the snow, um, I still enjoyed the sport, which was you know I think it was clear for even my parents when decision time came, things like that. They're like, you enjoy it a lot, you know, you love doing it down here, and here is not fun. So you know when the going gets tough up there, you're gonna keep going. So. Um, I think if you can, if you see kids doing it tough in, in difficult situations in whatever sport or whatever thing they're doing, and they still kind of have a real love for it, they're still doing it with a smile on their face, maybe they're getting fifth or sixth or last, you know, maybe that's their difficult situation. But if they've got that love for it, um, it's a really good indicator that you could have some sustained success. So uh, I think that's, that's what I've noticed the most is um, that love for the sport has never left. And um, I'm glad I made the decision I did to stick with you know, so. And what, what is it that you love about the sport? What attracted you to it? Question too, like people say, oh, why did you, why did you start Nithers? Why did you, you know, keep going? Um, and like, I, you know, my initial answer is, yeah, I just love the beach. I love testing myself in conditions, but 
I think it's a bit of everything, you know, coming from Tasmania, we had to travel a lot to go to different competitions. And when I got the opportunity to go to the Gold Coast or to even to Perth or to Sydney for uh, road trips and things like that, there is nothing better than doing a three-day carnival on the beach with, you know, some of the best competitors in the world, in Australia and um, being a little nipper, you know, challenging yourself in different conditions, different beaches all around Australia and that's what the sport's all about is, um, you know, travel and um, mixing yourself amongst the best at, in, at a range of locations. So I think that's, that was more a progressive part of the love for it because um, you obviously like going to the beach initially, but the reason why I stuck with the sport is, is those reasons. And uh, that's what the Nutrigain Ironman series represents. You know, you, you go around with the best 20 guys or 20 girls to some of the best locations in Australia and then or each, each location offers different challenges. So uh, it's a beautiful sport and I think that's, yeah, that's why uh, the love, where the love was generated later on. Yeah. I, I mean, I think about why I, why I still continue to swim. I, like yourself, started pretty, pretty early. I started, I don't know, four or five, just like parents sort of threw me in, but still continue to swim today. And I couldn't see myself not continuing to swim. And for me, it's like, it's a combination of like, you want to be good at something. And when you're good at something, you tend to uh, continue to do it because you've put a lot of work into it. And if it's something that you generally just love, it's uh, it helps. But then there's also that um, element of wanting to get better, enjoying the, like, I love to train. I, I love the feeling of being exhausted or testing yourself in training and then look competition. I'm probably a better trainer than I am a competitor, but um, yeah, there's like, there's a whole host of things. It's like, you just sort of get started in something and then it builds and it, and it builds. And um, it sort of sounds like that's, that's what happened for, for you and like why did your parents get you into surf lifesaving were they originally sort of beach people or they did it themselves not really like you know i think my mum did it a little bit but not really i, I think they were really good parents that in the uh, they just threw me into everything like I, I remember getting a little bit of taste of everything like i was you know tennis like karate um music you know playing musical instruments just everything so i think surf was just encompassed in that which was um you know just in tassie which is still a bit strange but um, we, we had a lot of kids in our sport, uh, in our surf club down there. So I think that's what attracted them to send me down there. Um, but yeah, just a bit of a taste for everything, which is so crucial, um, for a young athlete. I think everyone, everyone has a sport they're probably naturally accustomed to or naturally have, a, um, you know, attraction to as well. So, uh, I'm glad I got taste for everything because I definitely found a niche sport that I have a niche love for. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, which out of the sort of sports that out of the events that you're doing, what do you, what's your preference? What do you enjoy the most? Yeah, it's a good question. So our sport's so diverse. You know, we have our Australian Ironman Championship, which is amongst the national titles, and it's a very short race. Um, we have the endurance um, event, which is the Cool and Gutter Gold, and that's in four weeks' time. Um, then we have the Nutrigain Ironman series, uh, which is six rounds, six different locations, you know, and then um molokai things like the world paddleboard championship hawaii um so there's just so many different events in our sport and i, I think what still is just i just love the challenge so much is the nutrigain ironman series uh the the cool and gold is probably a close second but there's no comparison to when we have an un uninterrupted year going to six different locations with the best in the world um racing individually and just challenging yourself at really different locations and um, traveling around so yeah Nutrigain Ironman series is the best and do you, do you train with most of the the guys who you're racing against there I'd, I'd say most of them are up on like on the Gold Coast or up in Queensland right Freddie would be in Queensland um a few on sunny coast uh probably majority in Gold Coast and then um Sydney and stuff feel the rest uh it's um yeah I suppose when we come together, it's, um, yeah, majority of the Gold Coast. So um, we, we spread across the surf clubs, obviously. So I only train with, uh, well, I actually have two other, three other Nutrigain Ironman I train with. Um, but mostly there's probably only one or two at each surf club. So you don't actually train with them too often. We come together in our swim clubs. They're a bit more condensed. So you see other surf clubs in, in your mornings during swimming. Um, but, yeah, very spread and, you know, um, definitely spread between the surf clubs. And what's your, uh, what's your approach of like, obviously you've got to train hard, you've got to work your ass off uh, and the, you know, your fitness and all of that plays a part, but obviously there's also the elements of the surf, right? You've, 
some people will catch a wave, some people won't. And you have those sort of sometimes lucky, lucky breaks with it. So um, how's that sort of play into to your approach or if you perhaps have a, a good or a bad result, um, which might be the result of um, you know, out, in the, out in the surf and maybe a bit of luck. What's, um, how's that sort of play into your thinking of uh, the end result at the end of the day? So um, I, I talk about the sport as being the ultimate humility test. So um, the whole ultimate humility teacher. So you can be the best on the day and obviously uh, lose, lose the race or actually come last by a long way. But, despite being the best on the day. But um, so luck does play a part. Um, and even while I'm saying that, I'm saying luck doesn't play a part. Luck doesn't play a part <laughs> because you're always trying to teach yourself yeah. that you have control of your destiny. So um, but for every race you go into, you go in there trying to do your best and worry about no one else, um, worry about your race plan so specifically because on a six-foot day on the Gold Coast, there are so many different ways to get out, come in, um, that have different chances, different possibilities that vary 10%, 15% that you need to take the majority chance to get the win. So you're constantly evaluating odds and um, sometimes it doesn't go your way and sometimes you have to be really okay with your decision that you made the right decision. So um, to worry about other people is the, um, an avenue to really just worry too much and not succeed. So you really need to focus on yourself and, back your decisions and uh, pretend that luck doesn't play a part. Yeah, yeah that's right. And uh, speaking about uh, not not being worried about other people, we are talking just before the podcast about where you train, which is at Miami Pool. And it's just like a, a treasure trove of uh, elite sports people there uh, with Olympians, with, um, uh, with like national finalists. And then you've got um, a whole bunch of triathletes up that way and um, – like surf Ironman competitors as well. So can you talk a little bit about the environment that you're, you're training in with your, with your swimming and who's there and sort of how that looks? It's a really cool part of my program. So I'm with North Beach Surf Club, obviously. And in the mornings uh, on the Gold Coast, we all kind of mingle surf clubs and go to different squads. So there's squads at Bond, Griffith, um, with, with surf athletes there, as well as Miami, which is probably the biggest surf athlete um, squad. Um, so we, we run Dennis Cottrell's old program um, and we have, yeah, triathletes coming in. We've got, you know, uh, guys like Alex Graham, David Morgan, that are the pool swimming side of our squad. And then, um, yeah, our surf squad has, um, you know, Matt Poole, Corey Taylor, Joe Collins. Um, you know, we've, we've had them all. So we're kind of progressing on with the same sessions that um, Dennis Cottrell used to set, Grant Hackett, Tom Fraser Holmes, Dan Smith, all those guys. So, um, it's a pretty heavy program um, and coached by Raylene that we, yeah, flog ourselves day in, day out. So we've yeah, got a nine-lane pool of probably um, eight good swimmers in each lane and, um, yeah, it's a massive torture test. But it's the way we get our majority of our aerobic training. So um, unlike triathlon, the swimming in our Ironman races is probably the heaviest weight, like the most important kind of thing, the most duration and the most time out there. So... Um, we have to be basically pool swimmers, you know, we, 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 we rival times in training at the pool to the pool guys, but, um, they're much more finesse and can obviously race in the pool. We, we can't go much faster than what we actually train at. So, um, we, we, um, convert that to pool, uh, surf racing and surf swimming on Wednesdays and Saturday mornings when we do our Ironman sessions. And, um, yeah, so those, those pool swims are chaotic and, um, really challenging. A lot of the people that I coach are triathletes or open water swimmers. And the common question I get is how often should I be in the open water compared to the pool? And most of the elite guys like yourself, it's like the fitness is really done in the, the pool. And then the open water stuff, it's more just about the the skills and the tactics and learning, particularly in the, at the beach, right? Where like um, where you should, where your line should be and all of that sort of stuff. So how often are you training it for your swimming? And then I guess the other the other uh, events as well. So I'm doing four pool swims in the morning and then a Wednesday and a Saturday morning, I do my Ironman sessions, which are two obviously surf swims, but no specific actual surf swim sessions. Um, and my thinking when you're obviously majority of your, your listeners are open water swimmers, uh, a lot of their open water swimming is very flat, you know, for triathlon and for um, open water swimming in, you know, the, Kiwana Lake, things like that. 
Um, so it's, 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 it's not quite, it's, it's almost easier because you're more buoyant. You've got your wetsuit on sometimes, um, salt water, things like that. Um, it's not too much of a transition. Um, so to put it in perspective, I only do two, two surf swims, none are specific, but I, sw- I actually trained to swim in, you know, six foot surf, you know, where going up and over swells and you've got to learn to swim. It's not even swimming. It's, it's very weird hacking water polo stroke where you're basically looking for the next runner to dive through, dive through. It's like a continuous porpoise basically (laughs) in massive, massive seas. So, um, and even then, so we don't train a lot specifically for it, but when you have those skills, um, we see a lot of guys come from the pool um, and they can jump in the surf. They can easily transfer it even into big choppy conditions. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, yeah, the pool is very, if you can get the skills in there by doing different drills, different, um, swim sets with pull and band, things like that. You can really transfer very easily. So um, we find it's no problem. Has there ever been any situations where you found yourself, I guess not out of your depth, but where you've gone, all right, this is, this is testing. What's that? Sorry, it just, it just cut out. Challenging in what way? Like in the surf, if I've done so a session in, in, in the in surf. The surf. Yeah, like out, yeah. Out, out, in the, out in the ocean where you've... Uh, yeah, been out in, in big conditions. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, I mean, we, we kind of train for that because that's where our sport's the most exciting. And I like to, yeah. I like that our sport is, um, you know, engaging for the audience. So I love to make sure my skills are absolutely on point when we're training the surf. Um, but yeah, so last, um, in, in February this year, we had a Shore and Partners actually put on a massive event. Um, an Ironman Classic, the Shannon Next Iron Ironman Classic, it's called, and there's 20 grand on the line for first place. And it was it's so insanely big at Service Paradise. I remember just being like, I, I don't normally get scared. I've done a lot of stuff in big surf, and um, it was yeah, it was a, it was almost 10 foot plus. Um, and we're going out and surf, uh, surf skis and and swimming and ball paddling and just. Yeah, my partner was actually going out as well and I was thinking she cannot go out there like that is so big. And um, it was a crazy day and I remember thinking I'm definitely at my max here. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, I think that was the last time, but it happens fairly often, you know, you really do test yourself. But um, it's it's majority pretty safe, you know, as long as you're doing the right things, um, you can test yourself to the limit without um, being unsafe. But, yeah, that was um, February this year and good scare. <laughs> What's it? Uh, is it scarier being out there swimming or when you're like on the ski? What's the, what's the toughest one in those conditions? Look, you, you would think it would be um, on the ski or board, but swimming sometimes can be really, um, you can feel really vulnerable swimming because mm. uh, you just have, don't have the flotation. Obviously a ski, you know, you've got to fight, sit there, six meter skis, they're 18 kilos and you've got to paddle in your hand, but you've got speed at your side, whereas swimming, you can really get caught. If you get caught at the end of a rip bowl, it's kind of like a getting caught under the waterfall. You know, you're actually, you can't get out of there. If you get caught at the wrong spot, you're, you'll be held under for a long time just with um, minimal chance of air. So um, yeah, the swimming, I reckon the swimming, I actually feel the most vulnerable to be honest, but um, that's what we train for. So yeah, that's, that's right. Well, it's um, and especially without like fins or anything like that, like sometimes I'll, um, I live near, near bells and sometimes I'll go and like body surf it, but put the fins on and stuff. And like, there's no sweep there. Well, unless it's really big, but it's like, it's pretty, it's generally pretty safe. But even so, like without the fins, it's like, you're, you're very much a victim to, uh, to what's happening there. And you've just got to go with, with what's happening in the ocean. And um, yeah, that's, I guess that's uh, why it can feel like uh, probably the, the toughest uh, event if, if it's big and challenging. Uh, those fins are awesome. You know, when, when it gets really big to go out there with fins on, you feel completely different, like yeah. in, in every way, you've just got your feet back. But when there's, when it's big, it's just air, you can't even swim. So you really <laughs> have to be skillful and know where to go with the current and get out of a bad situation. So um, yeah, cause you've got no power. You have literally just um, swimming in air. So yeah, that's, that'd be a lot of fun. Actually. I'd like to body surf bells with some fins on. Yeah, I've had a few comments out there, but um, it's uh, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> it's uh, it's good, it's good fun. Um, and uh, and what about in terms of training wise with your with your swim sessions? Are there a couple of um, favorite sessions that you'll do? Because I'm sure that you're probably repeating the same sets fairly regularly. What are your, some of your favorites? 
Uh, well, like you, like you said before, um, I'm addicted to that feeling of improvement and training. So um, I'm there. To, I'm there to get better. I'm there to swim well. So the we on a Monday morning we do three hundreds, and um, sometimes we get up to ten threes, um, and we'll do say descend one to three, you know, three times maybe, and then the last one, you know, max. Um, and if I can do that session well and really fast, um, that's probably my favorite session. When I get really fit and I'm, I can smash that session, that's that's probably my favorite session. Um, on Friday mornings, and where we're feeling pretty flat, we do a 40-50s set, which is um, 16-50s on 45. Um, is it? Yeah, 16-50s, 45, and then 12 on, um, 12 on 50, and then... Uh, it's 55 and every every like quarter one is fast so 16 every fourth is fast 12 every three is fast eight every two is fast and then you do the last four all max um so yeah it's a really nice progressive set that you can kind of squeeze every everything you've got to give out without kind of just it's too much overload and you can't get through a friday morning session so yeah there's there's two for you that i kind of like yeah that's good i've um I heard, uh, so I heard Clibby actually, um, he posted about that session a couple of years ago. He said it was one of uh, Dennis's like go-to sessions. And so we've, we've done that like for the last couple of years, we've called it the DC special and, uh, it's, yeah, it, it's a, it's a good one. Although when I, like we've given it, when we've done camps in Thailand and, um, uh, and in Hawaii and stuff, and it's like, we, we, I don't give it to give this as that cycle, but it, the, um, the same session, but it's good. It's like, it's 2k. It's, all right. It's not too hard. But it's sort of like this gradual build, isn't it? Where at the end, you're just like, you're completely wrecked. But, um, you know, it, it doesn't feel too hard because you get to ease into it. And, um, yeah. A lot of the time when you fit, um, you, you, you think you can't, you can't, you don't have a lot to give. But if mm. you can just ease into it with that 1650s, by the time you get to four, you've actually, you know, really warmed up nicely. It's a great warm up and you can actually develop, show a bit of speed at the end and get a good, um, get some good times out of your session and, you know, walk away going, and this is the best thing an athlete can walk away from is go, oh, I feel, I felt horrible at the start of that, but I finished pretty good and I did some good times. Um, if kids or athletes can walk away with that feeling, uh, it's pretty empowering because you go, oh, yeah, you know, you're dead in the race, but no, 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 I've got more to give. You've always got more to give. You know, I, ne- I never yeah. really know if I'm dead. Um, so, yeah, good, good one. I think that's also kind of similar to that 10 300 session like i i really like those sessions where you get that gradual build like one build one to three for example because you can start out pretty easy get a little bit quicker and then quicker again and then you might even find that your times are improving throughout the the set if you weren't feeling great in the beginning but i find that so much better and more rewarding as the athlete because you give yourself that sense of accomplishment whereas if you're doing a set that might be like 10, 300s all at like threshold and you just blow up number three and it's all downhill from there. You know, it's, it's kind of a bit, a bit down on yourself after a session. So I do like those ones where you can, it's like this yeah, crescendos towards the end. A quick note from our sponsor. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Form Swim Goggles. With these goggles, you don't have to look at the pace clock anymore or be one of those swimmers in the pool always grabbing for their watch. With Form Smart Swim Goggles, you can see all of your key metrics while you're swimming. Distance, pace, stroke rate, they've got it all. And the swim data is displayed on the goggle lens and you can customize the display to see the metrics that you want to. And I was worried that it was going to be distracting, but you can literally see through the display, the metrics are always there, but you have to choose to focus on them. It's really impressive. And it makes hitting intervals or any kind of specific training much more manageable and achievable. And the goggles track it all. It's automated. So from the time you start your session, to the end of the swim, you don't have to press any buttons in between. It automatically tracks everything. Form also works with a bunch of the best pro athletes out there, including Lionel Sanders, Sarah Crowley, Hannah Wells, and Olympic champion, Usama Maluli, to name a few. These form goggles are for all types of swimming too. One pair of goggles, and you can use them in the pool, the open water, you can use them in swim spas and endless pools too. So the same pair of goggles can be used in all of these different environments. The battery life is incredible too. One hour charge is 16 hours of swimming time battery life. And you can have the display on either your right or your left eye. The goggles themselves come with anti-fog solution that's used in dive masks. So it's great in terms of quality. And there's a protective case with a nifty drainage solution. So after you swim, you can store them safely. 
And while the goals connect to the Form Swim app on your smartphone too, they will sync with the Form app and there you can review all of the details of your swim and you can see what other swimmers are up to in the Form Swim community as well. I'm a big fan of these goggles. I was really impressed when I used them and I use them for a vast majority of the sessions that I'm currently doing. To find out more about the Form Swim goggles, go to formswim.com and you can use our coupon code effortless at checkout and save $15 off your order. Back to the podcast. So coming into... Coming into summer now, what's uh, what have you got on the calendar in terms of events and what you're training for? Yeah, so uh, in four weeks' time, we've got the cooling out of gold. So um, that's our in- endurance race that kind of kicks off the summer most most years. Uh, last year, unfortunately, we um, we didn't get to race it. So and the previous year, I won it. So <laughs> that was probably one of the biggest achievements of my career, re- winning that race and. Uh, be the best ever to do it. Ali Day wasn't there. So he'll be there in four weeks' time. Um, so I have to defend my title against him and really looking forward to a massive challenge, you know, and um massive, massively motivated and really enjoying training and a lot better than I was two years ago. So looking forward to that test. Um, kinda. It's gonna hurt a lot, but uh <laughs> ready for it. And and then after that, our Nutrigrain Ironman series kicks off. So it's going to be a bit of a limited summer. I think we'll probably just do two weekends of three rounds because um, we've just been a delayed start. Basically, we normally start racing about November for that series. So everything's right. been pushed back. And then uh, the Australian Ironman title um, in m- late March, which I really need to um, try and win. So I haven't never won one of those, never won one of those. And uh, that kind of ends our summer. Um, we've also got the Shore and Partners Summer Surf like um, series throughout that summer as well. So between yeah the Gold, the Nutrigrain series, the Shore and Partners events, and uh, the Australian titles, it's a it's a lot coming up over the next yeah. four months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're going to be racing close to every weekend by the sounds of it, right? It's like yeah, hardly yeah, pretty up. much. Yeah, almost. Yeah. And uh, and I mean, compared to winter, I'm guessing there's like essentially no there's no competitions that you're doing unless you're traveling over to Hawaii or something, which obviously hasn't happened. Um, so how do you, how do you go with, it's like being a footy player, I guess, where you, you train, 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 and then it's just compete uh, back to back. Yeah, it, it is. It is this summer. Yeah. Uh, last summer was, you know, not quite the same. Um, we did the Nutrigrain Ironman series over two weekends and uh, then Aussies, you know, so it was a really quiet summer, but yeah, when things are going, it's um, it's on. So yeah, you have a big off season period, and then you race, race, race. But normally, yeah, uh, once once Aussies is done, kind of March, April, I can have maybe four weeks off, and then I'm ten weeks out from July, July thirtieth, which is normally the board uh, Molokai. So I, you know, that's fifty two k's. It's a five hour board paddle race. So I really need to. <laughs> Yeah, do some long distance stuff for that. And so it's it's almost a continuous year. Um, but obviously had kind of a nice break now. So I did five board paddle uh, world championships in a row. And then so I didn't really have a break for five years. And then I was actually gonna have a break last year anyway. And then it was cancelled. So yeah, it was one of those things and um had a two-year break now from the race. So keen to get back there and um, start getting back to normal and putting some back-to-back years together. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be good. And what mm. do you think sort of sets, sets you apart with the, the board paddle, like in that race, having the, perhaps the top three times? So um, what do you think you've, you've got over everyone else that's sort of giving you that advantage? <clears throat> yeah, great question. I, I, and I don't really have an answer for you. Um, board paddling for me has just come – I've always been a pretty natural board paddler on the – on the big clubby boards. Um, when I was a kid lying down on the nipple boards, not so much. Like I, would, I didn't even win, win races in Tasmania or, or anything until I was, you know, much, much older, like 16, 17. Um, used to get flogged in juniors. And um, and yeah, so I, I don't, I've got like incredibly flexible hamstrings. Like even cold, I can go almost put my wrist to the floor with straight legs. Right. Um, so yeah, little things like that are obviously like maybe – just naturally talented in genetics wise, but um, training for that race, you know, I just enjoy being, like I told you, I enjoy being out in the ocean. There is nothing more fun that I enjoy um, going downwind in massive, like 10 foot swells in a huge downwind um, on those boards. It's, it's like, it's like continuously surfing for like, as long as you want to go for. So 
Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I love, I love doing it. So when I go out, when I train the preparation for that race, I'm probably doing more hours than anyone else. And, um, that helps obviously for competing and, um, yeah, when we get over there, it's just awesome. You know, you're out in the middle of the ocean, you can't even see land or anything or anyone like, and you just paddle downwind and practice catching these swells for like five hours. Um, and that's a race, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's like nothing else in the world. And, um, it can get pretty big, you know, open ocean seas in off Hawaii in those winds. Um, you know, the, the faces of the waves are pretty massive and you can, you can get down them. You can get some serious speed. So yeah, just the love for it, mate. That's, that's another, um, underlying tone here. Yeah. That's awesome. And are you, are you practicing that on the Goldie? Like are you driving up North and then going down you know, on the right days or are you just going out from the surf club? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's it. So uh, when it's flat, obviously I just go off the surf club. There's no point driving anywhere, but every chance I get that there's wind, I'll um, go down the coast. Um, there's a good paddle I like from, because Brunswick and the Byron stretch before Tweed, uh, Coolangatta. So it's just, just before the New South Wales border, it's, it's a lot more open to the southerly. So drive down to say Brunswick or um, Byron and then paddle back from Byron all the way to basically Tweed or um just to kingscliff and um yeah, yeah right Jeez. so it's 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 shark highway out there because there's no there's no points that shelter you so in the gold coast here it's a big bay it's, we're sheltered by tweed so the sharks kind of you know they stay out to sea and run up and down the coast and it's wearing kind of a protected bay um but that's why byron and stuff get them because they're out there so protect now i'm protected from the wind and i'm protected for everything else and great <laughs> great paddle backs you know we get dropped and fly back and it's a bit very similar to hawaii um but on the gold coast here it's it's quite flat during during winter so great open water swimming weather and things mm. like that but uh yeah you gotta get out there when the wind's out there mm. i saw a video on youtube of it of two guys that they foiled from is it i don't know not main beach but like sort of the top um just before Stratty, um, like forward from there all the way down yeah. to like surfers, I think it was. I was like, oh, could, like it's not really something you can do that often around here, but um, yeah, with the mm. right winds and that kind of thing, um, it's good conditions for it. Yeah, well, like the northerly is good. So that's a north wind that's going the other way. So you could start at Seaway and paddle all the way over to Snapper if you wanted to. That's, that's about oh, maybe 27K or so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and at times you'd be a long way out to sea. Because like I told you, the Gold Coast is a bay, but that would be like, you know, guys like Kyla and you were saying from Hawaii could do that. And it's a great opportunity here on the Gold Coast. It's pretty cool. Um, pretty cool spot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what about um, what about with the, the Coolangatta Gold? So that's a, it's a huge event and it's a, like it's, it's really well well known, really well publicized, uh, particularly up on the Gold Coast. But I think even across Australia, like everyone's heard of the, the cool and gutted gold. How was that for you coming winning that event? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just crazy. Um, growing up in Tasmania, I remember watching the movie um, just with my little brother and my dad and the couch back home. And uh, I remember I was so pumped to do it. The, the minute I was old enough to do the under 19 event, I was in Tasmania. I was like 16 and went over and did it. And um, I got sixth, which was pretty cool. And I just, I was so stoked with that result. I was like, you know, blew my parents away. They were like, whoa, you know, <laughs> only five of these mainlanders beat you. Um, because I could compete in it a bit better than the short stuff because it was just a long time out there on the ski, a long time out there on the board. And I can train for that in Tassie mm. um, on the Gold Coast here. If you throw a 14 year old Tasmanian against Queenslander in four foot surf, you know, they're like, what is, what is this beach? You know, what is this place? Um, even like Torquay, you know, it's a protected like little beach compared to the open Gold Coast. Like, yeah, that's why Victorians again struggle as well. They don't have like the unless you go on a port sea or something, you don't have the comparable beaches. So I just had a love for it, and I could easily do it when I was nineteen. And so then it was always a goal that I was like, I could probably achieve this if I um, if all the things align and I can I can put the training together for it. So um, that's what happened on that day, and just a day I'll never forget. It was, it was an insane race against one of my best mates until the last kilometer. And um, we had to have a sprint off. So, Oh really? <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. It was just, yeah, it was a pretty crazy story. And um, I'm pretty keen to see what stories will come out of the next one because it's going to be, um, yeah, a lot of guys have come to party and it's going to be a tough, rap, tough, another tough event. It makes me think of like some of the triathlon races I've seen where even like, 
half Ironman or Ironman events, which you know can spread across seven, eight or eight hours for, um, for some of the pro guys. And if it comes down to a sprint, you just think, Oh my God, what are these guys got left in the tank That's after it. such a big day out? And I mean, it's the same thing with, with Cooley was, it's just a, it's a long day out. Is it, how many hours does it typically take for the, for the race? So it's about, uh, four hours is, you know, what the winners have come across at. And, um, yeah, so they, we'd come through then and then, yeah, some, some guys would be out there for like eight hours or something sometimes, but, uh, yeah, so it's it's crazy. Like I always watch races like that, and you see them sprint finish, and you're like, or you know, any event, and you're just like, how do they have anything left? And you just fueled on adrenaline. I remember trying to, I remember just like literally gritting my teeth. You know, I was just so like desperate for anything I'd got, and just hurting so much that I was just gritting my teeth so bad. And like I had like white foam and stuff around my mouth. <laughs> when I was finishing the race. But just no idea, you know, just in such limits yeah. of pain. Um, and I was thinking about it the other day because every every day you train, you, you're trying to think of those moments and remember how much it's going to hurt. So mm. draw on draw on this opportunity at training to make that moment hurt a little less. And I was just, you know, we've been doing so many Ks. I've been kind of delirious in the head a little bit. But um, I was thinking you don't actually, you train for those moments to hurt a little bit less, but, they never do. You just keep getting faster. <laughs> so yeah. I was, cause I've been, been, you know, improving a lot in the last few weeks um, and like kind of hurting the same and just thinking, this is just, a, this is a, you know, infinite challenge. You just, you, you're never going to hurt any, any less. You just get faster. So I thought that was a funny thought that I had the other day. Um, but yeah, looking forward to it anyway. I reckon. Yeah. It's uh, is, is that something that you're thinking about in training a lot? Is that you're visualizing yourself, racing maybe like you know the last part of the race where you might be head to head with someone or you know seeing yourself on the start line is, is that something that you've done before or or you continue to do yeah yeah absolutely um i think visualization and mental imagery for racing and training is just so crucial it's really really important um even to the point where if you watch a lot of race footage it's kind of like the same because you your subconscious takes on a lot of and that's why i watch your videos is because your subconscious takes on a lot of the technique that you're watching. You might not even notice it. You know, you might be mm. talking through specific skill skills that you focus on, but just watching it, your body takes on so much of that knowledge. And um, yeah. So when I'm training, obviously picturing exact moments, um, if I do good things at training, so always I'm learning, you know, especially in the surf, you just, the ocean's an infinite teacher. So I'll remember those moments and drum it into my mind. And I'll think, think through what I did, think through what I did so that you'd never forget it. You mm. don't just experience it in the moment and then forget it. You go, oh, that felt good. I'll, you know, I'll remember that. Just, just think through it again. And um, it's almost to the point where those reflections after training is so pr- crucial so that when it comes to race day and you're sitting there on the couch the morning of your race, you can just sit there and close your eyes and just picture all, the, all those decisions that you've committed to and, all those things you want to do, um, you can really think, see them clearly and, and then enact them a lot easier when you race. And after training, you said you reflect, you reflect on the session a lot of times. Are you doing that just while you're having a coffee or having breakfast or you're writing this stuff down? How, how, what's your approach to it? Yeah, I, I do have a journal. Like all that, I'm very imperfect. Um, I think if I was my perfect self, I would definitely be writing down every thought in a good journal, having a journal every year, but I've got kind of a really big book that for big races, I, I, I make notes about, and I definitely don't do it after every training, which I should, but uh, yeah, after big moments and, and race preparation. So for the, for the goal coming up, I wrote down notes for my preparation for 2019 because obviously it worked out all right. Mm. So the, just the, the, when, what day I had a massage, nutrition, nutrition moments that I stuffed up nutrition that went well, things like that. Um, but yeah, I think for, for listeners, you know, if you can write down notes, if you can get a diary for each year and you can write down, you know, some things that went well at each session or things you've been focusing on. It's just so good. Not even for revision, not even for revision at the ends of the year. It's just for that, um, you know, reiteration in your head and that reflective, that reflective help. So Yeah. It, it consolidates your thoughts, doesn't it? I think of mm. like, I, I 
don't probably really sort of um, write about that stuff anymore. But when I was a teenager, we'd keep a logbook and write down mm. like the main set and how we felt and that kind of thing. And the yeah. way I, I probably use it more these days is more like it, when we were running camps, um, from like 2019, 2020, I'd at the end of each camp, I'd write down what, what went well, what we can improve and just like, yeah, and just get it out on paper. And then mm. I can either look back at it or I just, I remember it a lot better once I've written it down. And it's kind of like when you're, um, for me, it's been coaching. It's like when I coach swimmers on their, their stroke, I learn that a lot better than when you're teaching someone else, as opposed to me just doing it. And uh, yeah, it's just that, that next level of, um, I guess, taking things on board or, or learning them. Mm, absolutely and I was kind of I was intrigued into how how your coaching had kind of changed so I scrolled to the bottom of your Instagram and watched like different um a few other videos and just like even then I could see how much it's progressed like you can you can just learn so much from analyzing where you were to where you're at and it's just so motivational but yeah I could see that like you've done you've done well to like improve how you coach as well so like yeah, it's um, yeah, it's so so important to that reflection, and it's 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 a bit fickle and annoying sometimes. You're obviously so dead, and you're worrying about nutrition, but it's a key. It's a key part because that visualization you want when you come up to a race, you want something easy that you can just lean on for just mental fortitude, a bit of positivity. You know, you're going up to a big test, but that visualization is so easy if you just got mm. these notes right. You know, um. Normally for me, it's a lot of swimming based stuff because it's, it's my, it's probably my weakest leg. It's just improved um, so much over the last few years, but I'm always, always trying to work to improve it because um, yeah, it's like I said, it's the most important leg. So um, yeah, I just want to tick off those dot points, you know, um, focus on that catch, you know, head up through the break, um, you know, lengthen out once you're out the back, like just little things. It's not even too complex, but um, mm. yeah. Yeah, it's it interesting hearing you say like you, know, you watch the video of someone swimming and then you can almost internalize that and swim like them. And I, like, I love doing that. Like, obviously, we've got the footage of Dan Smith, which you've seen, and he's just he's a he's a bit of he's quite unique with his stroke. He's just so perfect and long. And when I'm doing some stroke count stuff in training, that's really easy. I'll try and picture myself like swimming like him. And then yeah, when cool. I'm picking up the pace a bit, like my stroke is, I'm not going to sustain that kind of style. So I'll sort of switch to someone else, like probably a bit more like Katie Ledecky with that more loping sort of style, but it's, it's mm. exactly right. You can just picture, picture who you're trying to swim like, and then you can mm. really start to incorporate that into your, um, yeah, into your own stroke. Yeah. Cause each person's different. Each, each like you're different as well. So you can kind of, yeah change it up for when whatever speeds you're at um and and yeah like i remember dan smith i mean so with dan smith dennis cottrell always used to like have a chat with me and um another surf matt pool um after each session and you know we'd be talking about hacky going into the his last that olympic trial and things like that and he said oh if, if i could combine dan smith's stroke with hacky's work ethic like hacky just was never outworked he goes i'd have the perfect swimmer you know he just really? <laughs> he loved he just loved dan's stroke like he just frothed on it he always used to you know <laughs> use him as an example so um yeah he's he's pretty amazing that that um hundred and that the iron man swim as well that you know that flat water swim yeah um that excellent was yeah 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 that was just incredible to watch i was kind of mesmerized by that <laughs> And with your own uh, swimming over the last few few years, what um, what sort of what are some of those things that you'd focused on, and how had you approached it over the last like five years or so? Yeah, it's um it's been a it's been a, an incredible ride. So when I left Tassie at eighteen nineteen, you know, my my surf my swimming was you know pretty terrible. I just was never naturally talented at it um even when i left home at 19 i never it was even wasn't even in the ironman series it took me like two or three years before i could even break in let alone start to be competitive so um yeah it's come a long long way and i think i i don't i'm not exactly textbook either i'm not a completely dedicated athlete like i said doing reflections every session or focusing on a variety of things i'm a bit of a hacker and i just work really hard but um at the very minimum i'm always just thinking especially on easy swimming just little things you know like keep i don't even i don't even want to say what i'm supposed to but um you know just high high elbows um maybe straighten your arms so i change a lot during my swimming like you said when you're trying to fixate on dan smith stroke for easy swimming and then 
maybe Katie Ledecky's for hard swimming. Um, just always thinking and always never switching off and just going through the motions. Mm. Um, when I'm doing drills, you know, um, when I'm doing one arm, you know, one arm swim, one arm drills, my hands by my side and I can I can breathe. Um, what we call unco, so on the other side, not under your stroke arm. And it's a very balanced um, rotation now that I can do for that drill. Um, things like catch up and um, six kick holds, you know, with your, your elbow high and then reaching out. Things like those drills, I used to do and just go through the motions early, but I focused on them so hard that now they're a real strength. I can do them really efficiently and strong. And I think that they've helped my swimming come a long way. Um, and I can see a lot of hacking surf swimmers, young kids coming through. And I say, you know, work on that one arm drill, you know, put your hand by your side and rotate and breathe the other side. And they go, oh, I can't do that. It's, it's really hard. Um, and yeah, it's hard, but that's yeah. why, because you need to do it to improve your swimming. So those drills are focused on, I never switch off when I'm doing easy swimming. Um, I hack a lot when I'm doing the hard swimming, but yeah, I think they're just, always open to learning as well. You're there to, you're there to improve your swimming and swimming's a finesse thing. It's the same as very similar to kayaking and surf ski paddling. If you, if your technique's off, it's just not going to happen. You can be the hardest guy in the room. It's just not going to get you there. So really, really try and focus on improving whenever I can doing the easy stuff and those drills. Yeah. Uh, that's, it's so good to hear. Cause uh, I mean, I, I think back to when I was young, I would do drills, but it didn't really know, what the point behind them was and it's, it's easy mm. just to to roll through it you know you could do a few hundred meters of drills and you've, you've done it but if you haven't mm. focused on it or you haven't used it to help improve your stroke well it's no wonder like you just you're just going through the motions so i think um what i've tried to do with my coaching is to explain the drills and the purpose behind them and how that relates to your stroke yeah, because i find absolutely. there's a big disconnect there and mm. look I, I get it if, if you're a squad coach and you've got if you've got nine lanes of swimmers across the pool right you're not going to be mm. able to go into too much detail um with with things and we run small group clinics of like six people and so we have lots of time to explain this stuff um mm. and that's what i try and do with the videos so it's um yeah bridging that gap and then when people do a drill and they see a result and it improves their stroke it's like okay there is a purpose to drills um but yeah, yeah you don't need to do a whole session of them because I, I know what it's like you know you just want to i just want to get fit i just i just love that feeling there yeah uh, of, of a hard session but um also you know, Technique's so important. You got to do what you got to do to to improve it. Yeah, Dennis used to um, Dennis used to pull us aside every now and then. You know, it was every three sessions. Um, I don't even think you'd see a cue, but he would stop. He would stop everyone, and he'd walk up and down the pool doing you know this catch, and then he'd walk himself along a few steps. It's the catch, you know, and he'd be so that was what he's focused on. Um, and so did you know just just twiggy every few sessions to go. Yeah, okay, I need to focus on this drill. You know, it's not there for just chits and giggles. It's um. There's a purpose to it. And it really it focuses on a part of the stroke that you can change. When you're swimming, it's like even doing easy swimming, you're not actually, you can't um, specifically look at, you know, one, one part of your stroke. It's kind of hard. You've got everything yeah. moving together, whereas they utilize it. And um, yeah, if you can do like catch up and just think about how far, how many, how little strokes you can do. Um, and I wish I took more notes because um, I reckon I've dropped you know, 10, 10 strokes of 50 off my minimum stroke in, in even really? just the <laughs> last five years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it still doesn't look pretty, but um, I'm much more efficient than I was a few years ago, much more balanced because coming out of Tassie, you know, I was just huge, big hook and left and then a you know, <laughs> flat right arm and just surfed some up, but um, evened it a lot out. It's a great feeling. You know, I love my swimming now because I'm so much more efficient back when I first left Tassie. It was, it was a chore, you know, getting up in the morning. It's, I didn't want to go swimming. And, and now I, you know, got all my gear in my bag or my snorkel. I just embrace you know, the entire process. And um, I did a post about it the other day. My weakness is definitely almost becoming a strength, you know, compared to the rest of the Ironman. My swimming is probably one of my best because a lot of the other guys are good at board and ski, um, but it's becoming a strength. So um, if you really work on it um, and you go, go, th go through those little skills, you can make it a, make it more of a love for you and, and then you can really improve. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. If, when you see those, those little improvements, it's, it gives you that confidence and it gives you that love for, for, it, especially with, um, with swimming, which can be such a frustration for people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, 
yeah, you need the finesse, you need that skill. And uh, what in terms of straight count, like what are you when you're doing just a minimum straight count fifty? What are you doing? Yeah, I've, I've been getting down at 24, 25 for when I'm really nice and warmed up. Yeah, right. Um, I've, we don't actually focus on it too much, so that's just mid session, yeah. you know, me having a good time. But yeah, when I'm feeling good, and uh, my streamline's not great either. I'm not going to the 15 <laughs> or anything. That's just you know, a bit past flags or whatever. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, 24, 25, and um, yeah, lot lot better than previously. Um, but our surf swimmers, we can do some good times, but we're hackers, you know, it's inefficient, but when it's in the surf, we can, we kind of slow it down a bit and it kind of works a bit better, but it's good to know that, you know, I'm getting better stroke in the pool. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's 24, 25 is uh, really low. That's, that's, that's awesome. And I mean, when you're swimming in the surf too, and open water, you're not going to look pretty. <laughs> you, know, you just, you just no. can't physically do it when there's, yeah. when there's surf, like you're uh, you're swimming in. So, um, but it is good to have that finesse in the pool. And then if, if you, if it's flat and it's better conditions, you can use it. Otherwise you, I think you take that better feel for the water into the ocean. When you've got to hack a bit, um, you still have that better feel for the water that you develop in your pool sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, there's, you know, Bailey Armstrong, strong Nick, Sloman and uh we've got Ruben Reese at Miami. Those guys are really efficient in the pool. They just look incredible, especially Nick at the moment in the pool, just so good. And even when it's choppy in the surf, he just he he makes it look smooth. You know, it's mm. almost like the more power he has, the more hip control and power there in the kick, um, he can just make a choppy situation look pretty small. <laughs> like you look pretty <laughs> flat. So yeah, definitely every single, like I told, like I was saying before, that it's definitely transferable easily and everything I do in the pool, I know it's going to be really efficient really helpful in the surf. Yeah. Well, I uh, appreciate you being on the podcast and I know you didn't want to talk too much about technique, but I, I think it's, all... <laughs> yeah, we kind of got into it. So <laughs> people are going to be laughing at me, but anyway, um, I listen to my coaches. coaches that's, <laughs> yeah. And I'm listening to you. So yeah, thanks for that. It's an awesome, um, awesome platform you have to help such, such a massive variety of swimmers. So yeah. Cheers for your help as well. Uh, I appreciate it. And I, I mean, like I, I saw you um, shared one of our videos on, on Instagram, I think it was. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Cause I've, I've watched you in the surf Ironman scene for, for a number of years. Cause I've um, yeah, I enjoyed watching that stuff. And um, I had a whole season of surf Ironman probably 10 years ago, but um, it's um, yeah. So I, I appreciate that, but uh, I wish you all the best coming up uh, for this season and particularly for the cool and gutter gold. And uh, thanks for sharing all this on the podcast. It's uh, it's been great. And um yeah, I, I love the the fire that you've you've got. It's um it's great to see that, and um yeah, it, it just transfers into uh, someone who's a, a very good competitor. So uh, yeah, I wish you all the best for the season. Cheers! Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.